Genesis 29. I'm going to start in verse 31. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. And she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. And she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time, come on, look at somebody and say, this time, I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for these moments we have together, and we're asking that you would speak to us clearly. Thank you for who you are and what you are doing. You're so incredible. Your presence is so awesome, and we're grateful that you are with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. <laughs> this is a massive story that we have jumped into, and so I don't have time to go through the entire background. But I, I do want to give you some background because not everybody in this room went to Sunday school. And uh, so I want to help you just a little bit. There's a, there's a man in the Bible. His name's Jacob. He's very important. And Jacob uh, falls in love with this woman named Rachel, and uh, she, <laughs> she is a beautiful woman, the Bible says. And in order to get her, uh, Rachel's father makes Jacob work for him for seven years. And so Jacob, because he's so in love with her, he decides, okay, she's worth seven years of work. So he works for the father seven years. And then after that seven years, he gives Jacob, his daughter, but it's, it's not Rachel. It's Leah. And the Bible says something different about Leah. It says that Leah was weak in the eyes. Some people interpret that to mean that maybe she was cross-eyed or had a, a, a lazy eye or something was wrong with her eyes. But there's a very clear distinction in the Bible that says Rachel was beautiful and Leah was not. So you can imagine, again, remember last week we talked about insecurity, I want to kind of continue that thought today because one of Leah's issues was this thing called insecurity. And it drove her to do some things, to live in a certain way that really controlled and uh, dominated and dictated her life. So the Bible says that Rachel was, was beautiful. Leah was not. Jacob wanted Rachel, but instead he gets Leah, and Leah thinks, here where we started to read in Genesis 39, Leah thinks that because she is able to have children for Jacob, that she's going to make Jacob love her the way that Jacob loves Leah. And watch what she says when she has her first three sons. When she has Reuben, she says, the Lord has seen my misery. When, when she has her second son, and she calls him Simeon, she, she says, the Lord has heard that I am not loved. Then she has her third son. His name is Levi. And she says, maybe my husband will now want to connect with me. Notice three things that insecurity does in your life. It drives the desire to be seen, 
heard, and connected to do dysfunctional things. Every one of us were created with a desire to be seen, heard, and connected. That's why we, that's why we love to, to some of us, <laughs> that's why we love to, to party. That's why we love to be around people. That's why we love uh, to, 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 to be the center of attention. And even for people who don't like to party, have you ever noticed that the person in the room who is not partying is actually, that's a way for them to get attention because they're sitting in the corner because they're not the They're not the outgoing person, so they think, nobody loves me, nobody recognizes me, so I'll just sit in the corner so everybody will wonder what's wrong with me. (laughs) Because I crave attention. I crave. So the outgoing person wants to be seen, heard, and connected. And the introvert, like me, the reason we hide is because we want people to notice that we're hiding. So we can feel seen, heard, and connected. It's what we all want. But if we're not careful, that desire in us will become dysfunctional. And I like to call them dysfunctional virtues. Because what we'll start doing is we will start doing things that look like a virtue, but they're actually a dysfunctional behavior. (laughs) They're a behavior. There's something that it's, it's it's a dysfunctional drive in us that makes us do things like overcommit, overperform, run faster than we're supposed to be running, focus our entire, and give in to to pressure. And and, and we see pressure as this thing that comes on us that makes us have to do things. And so I wanna talk to you today about how insecurity drives so much of our performance, our pace, and how we handle pressure. And I hope that over these next 19 minutes that you can hear something that will change your life. Why? Because brokenness doesn't always show up in immoral behavior. Very often, brokenness shows itself as dysfunctional behavior. I think sometimes when we say someone is broken or you say I'm broken, we think that has something to do with some crazy immoral behavior. But it's not always some wild immoral behavior. It can mask itself as a virtue. It can mask itself as commitment. It can look like commitment, but it's overcommitment because it, it's, it's, like, it's like when Moses, the Bible says this, the Bible says that Moses was leading God's people out, out of, of Egypt and he was trying to lead them through the wilderness into Canaan. And the Bible says that there was this one moment where the people, they rebelled so bad and treated Moses so bad that God said, Moses, get out of the way, I'm gonna take them out. The Bible says Moses pleaded with God. He begged God not to do it. And God said, okay, I won't do it. Now watch this. Moses begged God to keep in his life people that God was trying to take out of his life. And because of it, Moses ended up losing his cool in front of those same people, disqualifying himself from walking into the promise of God because he pleaded with God to keep in his life people that God was trying to take out of his life. It looks like Moses was committed, but he was dysfunctional. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Some of y'all, that commitment to have a clean house, that looks like a virtue. But you're dysfunctional. 
For some of you guys, that work ethic, it looks like, oh, man, it's, a, it's, it's, it's hard work. No, no, it's a dysfunctional. Oh, oh, man. So, Leah, what's she been doing? Well, Leah has been having kids, thinking, believing that it will make Jacob love her more. And when she finally has Judah, the Bible says her focus shifts from pleasing Jacob to praising God. <laughs> What's funny about this story is Leah is miserable, but Jacob is having the time of his flipping life. Because <laughs> at this point, he's got both. He's got Rachel, the beautiful one, and he's got this, this other girl, Leah, He's out here just popping out sons left and right for him. This is what Henry Cloud said this. He said, he said, <laughs> he says, they, talking about the people in your life, can be irresponsible and happy, and you can be responsible and miserable because you are taking responsibility for their irresponsibility. <laughs> and she is trying to use what she produces to be accepted. She didn't believe that she was enough, so she thought, if I produce something beautiful, then that will make me beautiful. If I produce something lovable, then that will make me lovable. And then the Bible says she gets to the end and she has this last boy, Judah, and she says, you know what? Forget Jacob. <laughs> some of y'all just need to, some of y'all just need to forget some people in your life. Like, I'm tired of trying to please you. I'm tired of trying to make you happy. I, I, I know I'm insecure and you're taking advantage of my insecurity, but no more. Bless God, no more. Not anymore. Not, it ends today. It ends today. I'm not going to take responsibility for your irresponsible self any longer. It ends today. <laughs> she was like, enough is enough. There are people in your life like Jesus' own brothers, who even though they saw him do miracles, they still, the Bible says, didn't believe in him. In John chapter 7, this is an incredible story. Jesus is, is staying in this place called Galilee, and his brothers come to him. John chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for him, it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. <laughs> this is what they said. This is in the New Living Translation. It says, you can't become famous if you hide out like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. Why? For, verse 5, for his own brothers didn't even believe in him. You could do miracles and people still not believe in you. That's why you should give up on trying to make people happy. <laughs> and so the Bible says, so they didn't believe in him. And Jesus said, he said this, now is not the right time for me to go. You can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. And after these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. Some of you, <laughs> oh, 
some of you have been doing stuff to make your family happy, to make people around you happy, but it puts you in a place of danger. Jesus said, listen, I know you're my brothers, but you don't always have my best interest in mind. You have watched me do miracles. You still don't believe in me. You have watched me perform signs and wonders. You still don't believe in me. Now watch, going back to Leah. She keeps having sons. It doesn't change the way Jacob feels about her. So she gets to Judah, and she goes, enough with pleasing Jacob. I'm going to just praise God. The the cure for the insecurity in your life is to praise God, stop pleasing people. I'm going to praise God. Now, in Judges chapter 20, it's funny because in Judges chapter 20, the people of God are getting ready to fight, and they ask, okay, we're getting ready to go into battle. Who should we send first? And they, they hear from God, and God says to them, Send Judah first. Notice, Judah was her last response. But in Judges 20, it's God's first response. For some of us, praise is only something we are doing when we get tired and run down and exhausted, so we run out of options. So I guess now I'll praise God. So I guess now that I'm at the end of the rope, I'll praise God. So I guess now that I'm at the end of my ability, I'll praise God. So I guess now that I'm totally exhausted and all of my energy is gone, I'll praise God. But God says if you want to fix the insecurity in your life and you want to stop having and producing things that are not going to add real value to your life, you don't want to have three kids To get wise enough to realize that kids don't make you who you are. Don't live that way. Go ahead and praise me first. Come on, is there anybody in the room who's like, you know, in 2020, I had a lot of kids. (laughs) But I have decided that I'm going to praise God first. So she was trying to perform She was trying to produce to be loved. She was running at the wrong pace. Notice the Bible says she conceived again. She gives birth again. She conceives again. She gives birth again. She conceives again. She gives birth again. And then the Bible says she conceives again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. And notice the last last sentence says, so she stopped having kids. Some of y'all, some of y'all can't stop. I'm not, I'm not just talking about having children. Like, this is, this is not me telling you. If you've got 20 kids and that's your gift, like, all right, praise him, somebody. <laughs> but the key to dealing with the insecurity in your life is knowing what to stop. There's some things that you're doing 
And the only reason you're doing it is because you're trying to perform to make somebody else happy. It's not making you happy. And when you realize that it's not making you happy, you stop it. (laughs) She's like, listen, I love kids, but all these kids, this ain't making me happier. This is making me crazier. I'm going out of my mind trying to please this man who didn't want me. The only reason I'm in this position is because my dad threw me on to this guy. I'm just, I'm tired of wasting my time producing things. that are not making me happy. So she's running outside of her pace. She's running outside of her lane. But notice what Jesus said when they tried to make him run outside of his pace. Jesus said, no, I'm not going. But you'll never be famous. You'll never be important. She said, I don't care about any of that. I'm not going. Prove yourself. That's the way most of us live. Trying to prove ourselves. Jesus said, I don't have to prove myself to anybody. It's almost as if when Jesus was baptized and the Father shouted from heaven, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's almost as if Jesus believed him. And he decided that if God is pleased with me, I don't have to do anything to please anybody else. So I'm going to move at the pace that God has for my life. I'm not going to try to keep up with anybody else. I'm not going to try to run with anybody else. I'm going to stop sprinting a marathon. I'm going to go at my pace. And when I want to go, I'll go. But I'm not going to go because it makes you happy. That's good news, man. Oh, and for some people, it's not a lack of rest that makes them anxious. For some people, it's rest that makes them anxious. Insecurity will make rest part of your issues with anxiety. Because because if you're insecure and you're trying to find value and identity in your work, then when it's time for you to take a break, you can't take a break. Because there's too much anxiety about what taking a break will look like to your productivity, to your performance mindset. So if I take a break, what happens if I take a break? Everything will fall apart if I take a break. And so you can't sleep because (laughs) you can't rest because it gives you anxiety to rest. You can't take, take any type of rest or break from your kids Because how will they survive without you? How will they they make it without you? (laughs) So you you can't sleep because you find so much identity in your children. And if something happens to your children, then who are you? If I'm not productive, then who am I? If I'm not a mom, who am I? If I'm, not a, if I'm not a dad, then who am I? If I'm not a provider, then who am I? When God said that about Jesus, when God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, do you know Jesus did not perform one miracle? 
He hadn't produced anything for God to look at him and say, wow, look at what you did. I love you. Because God's love for us is not attached to our performance or how fast we can run or how many gold trophies we got sitting on the counter or how many first place ribbons we have. God isn't impressed by any of that. He doesn't care. He just looks at you and says, hey, I love you. And, and so many people live life like this. What if they don't love me? What if they will reject me? What if they don't receive me? What if I'm not enough? What if I'm... You're asking the wrong it. What if? You should ask this one. What if God really does love me the way the Bible says God loves me? Because if that's true, then it changes everything for me. It changes the way I look at performance. It changes the way I look at pace. It changes the way I look at pressure. Pressure, <laughs> pressure is so interesting because Jesus obviously felt extreme pressure. He had to accomplish what he came to do in three and a half years. He had to take these jokers, these disciples, and turn them into world changers in three and a half years. That's pressure. And we weren't really sure Peter was actually going to make it until right there at the very end. Full of pressure. But you know what you never see recorded in Scripture is Jesus running anywhere. Nowhere. Extreme pressure. Extreme time constraints. Can you imagine eternity having to come into time, never feeling the pressure of time, and then all of a sudden he's in a body that's all about time. What kind of pressure is that? I've got, to, I've got to accomplish an eternity's worth of work in a short amount of time. The ultimate amount of pressure Jesus was under, but he was always relaxed. He always made time to pray. I don't have time to pray. Jesus did. What's your excuse? Nobody's had more pressure on their life to perform than Jesus had on his life. Nobody had more pressure to get something done. Nobody had a deadline that was more important than the deadline Jesus had. But he still made time to pray. Because prayer sets the pace for your life. If you don't pray, your circumstances will dictate your pace. But if you pray, prayer will dictate your pace. <laughs> so, pressure. John 7, his brothers are like, prove yourself. And if you're insecure, you'll put pressure on yourself to do something that you were never intended to do. You can't be famous like this. That's what they said to him. But Jesus understood something. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus, when he's looking at a crowd of overwhelmed, insecure people who have been weighted down with the law, he looks at them and he says, come to me. All you are weary. Is anybody in the room tired of the rat race? Tired of having to perform? tired of having to pretend to be something that you're not. Jesus said, hey, you, come.
Come here. I want to give you something. I want to give you rest. And this is what Jesus says about himself. He says, he says come to me. He says, because I'm lowly. The word lowly is an incredible word. In the Greek, it means, it means to not rise far from the ground. Why, why is this important? Because a person with a lowly heart is not bothered by being anonymous, underestimated, underappreciated, undervalued. Jesus was not concerned about impressing people. He didn't worry about getting credit for the stuff he did. He wasn't worried about clearing his name. Man, some of y'all just need to chill. Running around trying to defend yourself to everybody. Did you hear what so-and-so said about you? Yeah, I heard about it. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. Oh, why not? Battle belongs to the Lord. Aren't you going to defend yourself? No. I don't need to defend myself. God said, vengeance is mine. He'll defend me. Do you know how much much time you would redeem if you stopped defending yourself? (laughs) Oh, man, they posted about you on Facebook. You spend the next three days freaking out over it? Man, insecurity's got you running at a crazy pace. It's got you bowing your knee to the pressure. And it's got you performing. It's got you like, what can, what can I produce next? What, what do I? For songwriters, what song? I gotta write, I gotta, what song can I write? For, for book writer, what book can I? For creative people. What can I come up with next? I, and, and it's this pressure. To be the next. To be the greatest. To be seen. To be heard. To be connected. But what if all of that is already fulfilled in what Jesus has done for you? What if, what if by the time she got to Judah, she started to realize Jacob hasn't seen me? Jacob hasn't heard me and Jacob hasn't connected to me. But you know, through all of this, God has heard me, God has seen me and God has stayed connected to me. Is there anybody thankful in the room today that people don't always see you, don't always hear you, don't always stay connected, but God always does. Will you stand on your feet with me? You know, during this whole uh, pandemic and, and these issues with, with, with race and injustice and all of this stuff, man, I've, I've, been, I've, been getting, I've been getting people who come to me and say, Rob, you're not saying enough. Rob, you're saying too much. 
And if, and if I let my insecurity lead me, then I would get up in this pulpit every week and try to make you like me by saying the right things. But I can't live like that. I, I can't live at the pace that you determine for my life. And what happens for many people is they live by a, by a pace set by people who don't even really believe in them. Because if you really believed in me, you'd let me be me. If you really love me, you let me be who God has called me to be. You would stop putting your expectations of who you think I should be on me. So I found this out, that the people who try to drive your agenda the most are the people who care for you the least. I found this out. The people that complain the most in church are the people who give the least. The people who complain the most are the people who pray for you the least. people who love you the most while they might not be telling you everything you should do that sometimes they're just in the corner sitting saying you go there 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 uh, there are people in this church that that I know have my back not because they've ever come to me and said hey Robbie I got your back I just know it I know it because that quietness that quietness, I'm not going to try to, even though I'm connected to you, even though I could get in your ear, even though I could try to manipulate you, I'm not going to do it because I believe in what God is doing in your life. Woo. Come on, is there anybody thankful for the quiet people who believe in us? <laughs> Man. <laughs> Woo. Man. What if God does love me? That means this. That means if he does, then all of my sins, past, present, and future, are entirely and absolutely forgiven. If God really does love me the way the Bible says he does, that means that he is always smiling over me. If God really loves me the way the Bible says he does, that means there is nothing I can do to make God love me any more or any less. <laughs> Man, that's it. If God really does love me, then guess what? I don't have any reason to be afraid of his wrath. Because what does perfect love do? The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. It says, and the person who fears, they fear because they're afraid of judgment. I'm not afraid because I'm not afraid of judgment. I already know what God's judgment is over my life. <laughs> if God really loves me, then that means when he disciplines me, he's not punishing me. He's correcting me and he's training me. If God really does love me, then my fear of letting him down is ridiculous. Because to let him down would mean that something happened or I did something that he didn't know I was gonna do. When somebody lets you down, it's because they did something you didn't expect. But God is, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He sees, he sees it all, your whole life. You can't disappoint him because he already knows what you're going to do. 
The reason we get disappointed is because we expected some outcome and it didn't happen the way we thought it was going to happen, so we're disappointed. When God sees you, He can't be disappointed because He already saw you make that mistake. He already saw you fall flat on your face, and guess what? He still chose to love you anyway. So if He really does love me, it changes everything. If He really does love me, then my performance for Him my underperformance never impacts my position in him. How many of you are thankful for a God who's, who doesn't change? Doesn't change the way he sees you, change the way he views you based on how good or bad you're doing. So Father in Jesus, and we thank you. You are consistent, you are faithful. And I don't have to let my insecurities run my life. I don't have to let my insecurities dictate my performance. I don't have to let my insecurities dictate my pace. I don't have to let my insecurities dictate how I respond to pressure. So today I choose to rest in you. It's, it's, it's pretty wild how the longest commandment in the Bible is the command to rest. You took the most time to explain the command to rest, to, to not neglect the Sabbath. Why? Because for most of us, <laughs> killing people isn't the problem. For the majority of humanity, rest is a problem. So you took the longest time to explain rest because you knew it would be the most difficult command for us to obey. So Father, today we choose to rest in you, that we are totally loved, that we are totally valued, we are totally seen, we are completely heard, and we are always connected. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Maybe one more time we can put our hands together and bless the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hey, we love you, and I'm sorry I took about nine minutes more than I should. I've got to let you, let you go. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. We'll see you very soon.